Healthcare bodies are starting to use AI and predictive analytics to process big data in the hope of improving services, patient outcomes, as well as reducing staff workload. Some of the innovative applications include detecting cancer at an early stage to increase survival, predicting heart disease or identifying which ICU patient is at risk of further deterioration. These are only a few examples of the potential applications that are ever-growing, especially as our data and computational ability is refined. But how ready is the Asia-Pacific region for all of this? AI is usually thrown around as sort of a silver bullet. <laughs> it's going to, you know, have the answer for everything. But of course, it's just a tool. The problem facing us is the culture, that the culture sometimes is not ready yet especially in some countries uh, like Indonesia. I think governments around the world, especially in societies where there's a high percentage of aged patients, they especially have to invest in AI. And I'm afraid that this can't be purely a, a private-led initiative. This is Healthcare Redefined, a podcast which explores the vital issues driving digital change and innovation for a sustainable healthcare sector in the Asia-Pacific region. I'm Rob Cook, Clinical Director of Health Policy at Economist Impact. This podcast has been commissioned by Philips. In this episode, we will explore the role of AI and predictive analytics and how this innovation is resonating in the Asia-Pacific region. What is the current state and what are the challenges now and into the future? Using data to predict outcomes in the healthcare sector is a growing reality. It will very much rely on healthcare providers, institutions, information structure and data. I am very pleased to welcome you to the second podcast in the series, where I will talk to experts from three countries in the region, Australia, Singapore and Indonesia, where health systems have been actively using AI and predictive analytics to improve both services and outcomes. Dr. Ki Yuan Yam is Group Chief Technology Officer and Deputy Chief Medical Information Officer at the National University of Health Systems in Singapore. Also with us is Dr. Dennis Bauer, Bioinformatics Team Leader at Australia's Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation and Associate Professor at Macquarie's University Department of Biomedical Science. And Dr. Hananil Wijaya is director and co-founder of Cortex Indonesia. He was also previous chief executive officer at the National Hospital in Surabaya. Welcome and thank you all for joining me today. We should start the conversation by first defining what we mean by predictive analytics and artificial intelligence and its potential benefits, especially in the Asia-Pacific region. Dr. Niam, you've conducted research on the use of data analytics and AI in healthcare. Can you give us a brief explanation of what this is and some of its applications? AI is a really general term, though we understand it as artificial intelligence. In many settings, when it's used in healthcare, it is not used as artificial intelligence, but indeed it's used as augmented intelligence. So it's a way in which we can uh, help clinicians make better decisions when they care for the patients. And it does not take away the physician-clinician kind of relationship, but in, instead it acts as a sort of a clinical decision support tool in the way we help treat our patients for their various conditions. 
So broadly speaking, many of the applications in AI and healthcare are for the purpose of predicting certain outcomes that were previously not possible and to improve certain process or uh, process-related efficiencies within the hospital setting. In terms of the kind of AI tools that can be developed, broadly we can break them down into sort of machine learning kind of tools that utilizes more traditional machine learning algorithms that help describe a particular trend going forwards. And as well as the new forms of AI, what we term as a deep learning or neural network type of tools that allows us to model certain conditions or cancers, for example so that uh, we can make predictions about certain trajectories of diseases given the large amounts of data that was trained on in the past. That's an interesting point about augmented intelligence rather than artificial intelligence. Dr. Wijaya, do you agree with this, that these tools can help healthcare workers better manage their patients? Yeah, I totally agree with Professor Nyam's uh, statement that in medical sector, in healthcare sector settings, that AI actually is not the artificial intelligence, but instead it is uh, augmented or actionable insight. It will helping the doctors to be able to handle and uh, manage the patients better and better. The problem facing us is the culture, that the culture sometimes is not ready yet, especially in some countries uh, like Indonesia. But According to the data, we have 260 million population with only less than 100,000 of doctors. So AI, we believe that it will increasing the productivity and how we can handle the patients more clearly and better. I believe with the AI, there is four goals that necessary for us in the healthcare sectors. First, AI will increasing the patient experience, the patient journey. And second is for the increasing the clinical outcome with a lot of the automation. And for Indonesia, the one of the highlight goals on the digital transformation is for cost reduction as well. We believe with the AI, it will reducing the cost of the healthcare that's skyrocketing in uh, many, many countries, including us. That's a good point, both in terms of cost reduction, but also better use of resources, given the capacity constraints that we're all facing in health systems now, especially recently with the pandemic and the shortage of ICU beds and staff. Perhaps I could turn to Dr. Bauer for a general view. Do you have any insights from your research and experience on how we think about AI? Yes, absolutely. AI is usually thrown around as sort of a silver bullet. <laughs> it's going to, you know, have the answer for everything. But of course, it's just a tool, right? It's just a tool as all the mathematical models that we've been using in the past. The only difference really is that you can look at more data and uh, have a, a different angle to these predictive elements to it. But as we heard before, the critical bit here is the data, because the prediction that come out of it can only be as good as the data that goes in. And therefore, a lot of countries are going through at the moment, uh, through this transition from a paper-based medical record to an electronic medical record. And we are on that journey. We have not arrived yet. But once we've arrived, I think the data is really there and uh, the machine learning methods can be trained with beautiful accuracy uh, in order to bring that into the healthcare system. But we are still on that journey. 
Thanks very much. That's a great way to put it. I wanted to return, if I may, just to the idea of costs and how AI can help. Dr. Nyam, what are your thoughts about the impact that AI and predictive analytics can have on overall healthcare costs? Absolutely, Rob. Um, I, I Broadly, I would say that there are two areas that uh, AI can help reduce costs. So from a hospital operations perspective, I think there are many opportunities there where AI can be deployed to improve the efficiency and the services uh, hospitals provide to our patients. So take, for example, the issue of queuing, right? Now, every hospital, every clinic around the world will always have the problem of patients queuing up for services. How can we use an AI tool to help improve the queuing situation? So here in Singapore, there have been a number of initiatives that we have used AI and machine learning models to improve the way we schedule patients, whether it's in the outpatient clinic setting or in, say, scheduling operations uh, in the hospital itself. You can imagine in the operating theater setting, every 15-minute block in the operating theater costs a lot, right? It's in the thousands of dollars. So if we could improve the way we schedule patients for operations in the operating theater, then that would surely be a huge um, savings in terms of cost and increase the efficiency in which we use valuable resources like the operating theater. Uh, other forms of AIs that are being used within the hospital include things like uh, AI for image analysis. So that's a hotly contested area where um, these AI tools are used to improve the efficiency of what um, the radiologists are able to read from uh, scans and images that are taken in the hospital. Lastly, I'd like to mention that there, there's ample opportunity where AI can be applied to public health, especially for the management of chronic diseases. So if we could use the AI in a way that we are able to track our patients' management of, say, hypertension in the community and use those algorithms to help the patients manage their conditions, such as reminding them to take their medications and reminding them to, for example, send in their blood pressure readings. And this would go a long way to reduce the manpower overheads that are required to look after a very large population of patients who have chronic diseases. That's a nice summary of a few different uses of AI, operating room waiting times, image analysis and chronic disease management. Dr. Bauer, do you have any examples from Australia on the use of AI in healthcare settings? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm part of the eHealth Research Centre within CSRO which is the largest digital health initiative in Australia and worldwide quite unique in covering this full value chain from basic science all the way up to bringing technologies into the clinical practice. And along this value chain everywhere, there is machine learning and AI applied. So for example, in my specific area, in genomic research, we're doing personalized risk predictions to you know spot if someone is at risk of heart failure or using it to diagnose motor neuron disease or even in uh, how to treat people in the cancer space and what kind of drugs someone might be susceptible to or have an adverse reaction to. Where it comes to the actual application in the healthcare setting, we've been using with or we've been working together with 200 GP practices around the country in order to predict people that are at risk of hospitalization because keeping people out of the hospital is probably where you can save most of the economic revenue and of course is uh, where you can increase the well-being of individuals. 
So therefore, developing a machine learning method that can identify these individuals and then focus the care on those people. Um, and then going further um, out into, you know, keeping people healthy for longer, because that is obviously the goal of most healthcare systems, to have people living independently in good quality for as long as possible. And here we recently completed the DAX trial, which um, has sensors around the home of elderly. So these are um, sensors that are purely looking at um, activity rather than recording sound or recording video. So the privacy there is, is preserved. And this trial really showed that these sensor-based technologies, Smarter Safer Home, is on par with a standard of care of inpatient visits of people around the country. And to me, this really embodies the ability to scale to a growing elderly population in that we can maintain the same level of care with the growing number of people and the reduced number of healthcare workers, or you know, constant number of healthcare workers, so that the healthcare workers that are available, they can focus on the things that really matter, like the interpersonal connection with people, that uh, the well-being of people, rather than uh, looking at their welfare, basically doing the the basic grunt work. So the technology is doing the basic grunt work, and the practitioners, the people, can focus on the elements where the human touch is, is needed. I like the idea of technology that supports people in their own homes. One question that comes to my mind is the data collection systems that support this. Do we in fact have the data collection systems in place to enable us to fully realise the potential of AI? Yeah, I would say we're not quite there yet. <laughs> and, and my example for that is the ongoing COVID outbreak, where we have this ability to capture genomic data of the virus itself in really beautiful detail. So GISAID is the database that captures the genomic information, but it doesn't have the ability to link the patient outcome. So for the 7 million samples that were collected around the world, only it was 99% of those data do not have the patient information attached to it in sufficient detail. And I think this is sort of a stark example of how far we are still from the ideal. It seems this data is not just the data source, it's the connections between the data and the patient to whom that data truly belongs. Dr Niam, do you have anything to add here? How can we go about solving these types of problems? So on the issue of uh, being able to break down data silos and to build AI models or analytic models, I think it is inevitable that one has to address issues of privacy, data governance, and cybersecurity. It is inevitable, right? And those issues, if they are not resolved, either results in data not being used properly, or worse, uh, you know, cybersecurity breaches that would then upend any kind of uh, good intentions in using that data. But to, to speak a little bit about how we can use AI and indeed automation to solve some of these problems, so one of the things that we've done here in Singapore is to build a system that allows us to aggregate all the data together and have a uniform way of de-identifying that information and making this information available to as many uh, scientists and researchers as possible. I think that's a very powerful way to you know, build a sandbox to allow people to use the data in a governed and secure environment. And that's the foundation upon which we can do many other 
really fancy things. Like for example, on top of building AI models, we can build automation systems that allow us to collect future data. Like we're able to track uh, certain patients' outcomes without any concern that we might be breaching the privacy of the patient because the researchers who are looking at that outcomes and tracking data won't ever know who this patient is. So I think it has to be very deliberate uh, when we think about how we want to use AI in the future in a sense of uh, setting up the foundational infrastructures that allow us to do uh, all these fancy uh, AI models. Dr. Wijaya, how about this in Indonesia? Is data interoperability a challenge that you deal with in your hospital? Yeah, if we spoke about the challenge, yeah, the challenge is in the hospital itself or the healthcare provider itself. It's not uh, on the part of the probably on the wearable device that can integrate with the data, but in a way that hospitals, especially in Indonesia, is not as advanced as in Singapore or Australia. Yeah. Even is a very small hospital is already implemented electronic medical record. And most of the devices of the hospital is not connected and uh, communicated yet. So the data becoming not so reliable and we have to re-entry a lot of data and it impacting the trust level of the data itself from the healthcare provider. So before we move forward to that, the challenge in Indonesia is how to increasing the amount of the electronic medical record of the hospitals and then how the interoperability of the devices. Yeah, luckily, uh, the big hospital is uh, already have uh, resources to invest in the digitization. But most of the, the other hospital cannot apply that. So the challenge is the, the interoperability. I totally agree with you. Healthcare Redefined is a podcast series commissioned by Philips. And here's a word from our sponsor. Since 2016, Philips has supported original research to help determine the readiness of countries to address global health challenges and build efficient and effective health systems. The Future Health Index focuses on the crucial role digital tools and connected care technology can play in delivering more affordable, integrated and sustainable healthcare. With almost 3,000 healthcare leaders surveyed across 15 countries, the 2022 Future Health Index focuses on how data and advanced analytics are giving healthcare providers new tools which enhance their ability to deliver care to all sectors of their communities, both in and out of traditional hospital settings. Click the link in the show notes to access the report. Some governments in the Asia-Pacific region are beginning to look into the implications of data, analytics and AI and planning for the future. At the moment, a lot of AI research is driven by the private sector and academia. We spoke earlier about cost. I'm wondering what role the government may have in the promotion of research and development and in incentivizing the adoption of these technologies. I know we've got different healthcare systems in the region that have different proportions of private and public funding. Professor Niam, what are your thoughts about the government's role when it comes to investing in AI? I think governments around the world, especially in societies where there's a high percentage of aged patients, they especially have to invest in AI. And I'm afraid that this can't be purely a, a private-led initiative because it is in the interest 
of any government to ensure that they can have a multiplier effect using AI to support an elderly population as well as the growth of chronic diseases. So Singapore is the, it's the best example of this, right, where we are going to see an explosion of uh, chronic disease patients in the coming years due to the prevalence of diseases such as uh, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and hypercholesterolemia. So the government in Singapore has made a very deliberate investment into AI to ensure that we can leverage the, the AI's capability to help manage the increase or indeed reduce the incidence of uh, chronic disease in the community. So if you project the economic cost of not investing in something like this, it would be exponentially expensive. So I would say that um, if you consider investment in any area of healthcare, you know, one of the easiest choices for any government to make is to invest in AI because it is the one technology that can directly impact the outcomes of care uh, in the community. Yes, it really does seem like investment in AI makes a lot of sense. I want to turn our thoughts now to the workforce in the Asia-Pacific region, the people who would be expected to use this technology to help them do their jobs. Are we ready for this investment in practical terms? Dr. Bao, maybe I can turn to you to answer this one. Yes, so from my perspective, I mean, a new technology always is a challenge on the workforce and that the workforce has to catch up to that. Like machine learning has been around for a while and there, are, there is a good stock of researchers in that field that is pushing the area forward. So I'm, I'm not too worried about the actual development of the technology. And neither am I worried about applying it in the medical system because as long as it's communicated as just another tool, I think the healthcare system is very well equipped with critically questioning the output or the prediction of tools. Always there is an area that, that requires improvement and more people is always better than this. So, and I'm working for a government research agency, CSRO, which is Australia's national science agency. And we have recently announced the new national AI center with $50 million funded. So definitely there is a push in that area in bringing more people into the field in having more ingenuity into the space. But I think predominantly it's more around how can we commercialize or how can we put the theoretical research into the practice that really helps the healthcare system. And I think this is where a new thinking really needs to come in because machine learning has been very traditionally academically served and now it needs to be pushed, kicking and screaming into the real world and the healthcare system at that Dr. Wijaya, what do you think about the workforce in terms of knowledge and skills and application of AI in Indonesia? What are your thoughts about what would be required to implement some of these things we've heard about? Yeah, the basic transformation should be start, I think, from the education program. Our challenge is now, at the moment, that all of the fresh graduates in our hospital system needs to be trained with the AI and with the technology-based knowledge, but six months. So they cannot handle the patient or work in the, in the hospital before do the training for, for that area. So I think the basic uh, transformation, I agree with Dr. Bowers, that it should be coming from the medical education program. And as long as the, there is no transformation from the medical education program, 
we as a healthcare provider will be coming uh, yeah, one of the bottleneck to handle the patients. Thanks very much for that. Yes, education is really the key here. Dr. Nyam, any thoughts from you on this? You know, we could build the best technical infrastructure, but if you don't have the right people to use it, it will be quite a waste of resources. So one of the things that we spent a lot of time doing in the past few years is to build up training programs, uh, whether it's like, you know, easy certification programs to programs that are integrated with a medical degree to actual degree programs in, you know, a Master's of Science in Biomedical Informatics, where we actually teach, uh, you know, candidates or students how to go through the entire process of building an AI tool, including the ethical as well as the guidelines and, and the regulations around it. So I think this is preparing for a future where we see healthcare becoming more uh, efficient and automated because you know, the use of AI is prevalent in other industries. The, the question is, why not healthcare? And precisely because we haven't had the right training uh, for the people to use it uh, and to deploy it in the way we want it to. Another interesting point looking at other industries to guide us, especially since, as you say, AI adoption is lagging in healthcare compared to other industries. So this seems like a good segue into this final question. Where do you see the future going in terms of predictive analytics and AI in healthcare? Dr. Niam, I'll turn to you first, if I may, on this one. Oh, thank you, Rob. In Singapore, I think we, we've come a fairly, some fair way in terms of solving issues with uh, interoperability, governance, security, guidelines. We have guidelines for AI development. So we, we are really at a good place where we want to now bring this AI to deployment, right? And the term we use is uh, AI for good. And we really want to deploy these AI tools in a, in a very considered manner so that it would actually support clinicians and patients uh, in the care. And we want to leverage the, the, the kind of services that we have. So one of the things that we've built, for example, is to have stream-capable AI. So what does that mean? So really it's about being able to use data in real time and process that information in real time to deliver AI predictions uh, to the clinicians. So you can imagine what it means is that, you know, a patient coming into the clinic and you know, the doctor will be alerted that, okay, this patient has an increased risk of breast cancer. Uh, please consider a mammogram for this patient when the patient's coming in for something completely different, right? So that is the dream. That is what we want to achieve uh, in the coming years without a clinician even having to you know, click a button or put in new data, it is fully automated and running on the background. So this level of, I would say, hyper-automation is something that we will work very hard towards and we will hope to see that in the coming years. It would certainly be great to see that in the near future. And Dr. Bao, where do you see the future of AI? So definitely join the dream of fully automating and having the whole healthcare system talk to each other and give these recommendations that are personalized and really relevant for the individual. But in order to achieve that, we do need to have information about the individual. And especially in the genomic space, this is really difficult to actually get. Most of the genomic data that is available is actually from Caucasian background. And in Australia, we are a nation of immigrants and we hold the longest continuous culture in the, in the world. So therefore, there's a lot of diversity in the population that we have, and this is currently not really captured. So genomic data is one example, but of course, there need to be many more 
data points captured about the individuals in order to make those personalized predictions that we want to get to. And I think the second part is that as a world, we need to work more together. Like we have these pockets of excellence around the world, but they're not connected. And I think with the accelerated um, capability around the technology that we've seen, I think we need to accelerate of how we actually work together and how we can stand on each other's shoulders to build something that is larger than the sum of its parts. And to me, cloud computing really is the key um, enabler in that space, in that we can stand up something on the other side of the world and then replicate it here or the other way around um, and really work together and have these systems talk to each other. I see how there is this dichotomy between the IT space and the domain space. And I think we need to bridge that. We need to really truly make an effort to working together and therefore having more AI used in the healthcare system makes me really hopeful that we can bridge that gap and we can bridge the language and work together more effectively. That seems like a nice positive message. And finally, any last thoughts from Indonesia in the future? Dr. Wijaya, how do you see this progressing in your part of the world? I'm thinking the future of the AI and the automation of the healthcare provider is based on the patient-centric, that the data put as a patient base and it can be shared in all of the healthcare provider. Uh, what I saw the government now is uh, doing it a healthcare provider base. So I think it's uh, the other way around and the concentration should be on the patient-centric. And second things at all of the automation, all of the data is not decreasing our clinical experience with the patients. Now, the burnout rate of the doctors to the patient is high because uh, so many uh, administrative tasks, so many computer and uh, doctor-related tasks. So even now, the eye contact with the patient is decreasing significantly. And I believe with the AI, it should cure that symptoms. That is the, the future of the AI. So it's not about the fancy things of the all of the automation, but it should be uh, how we handle the patient more clearly and more effectively. Thank you. It's a very nice way to finish with a patient-centered approach, since ultimately all this technology is to enable us to provide better care to those who need it. That is it for this episode of Healthcare Redefined. Next time, we'll be looking at data use in healthcare in the region. Do visit the Healthcare Redefined website where you can find articles and videos on the digital transformation of healthcare in the Asia-Pacific. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the podcast series. And thanks again to our sponsor, Philips, and our guests, Dr. Ki Yuan Yam, Dr. Dennis Bauer, and Dr. Hananiel Wujaya. <laughs>